0: Welcome to The Randy Report. I'm Randy Slavacek, your host. I'm also the writer and editor of TheRandyReport.com, where you can find me every single day on the internet reporting on the daily news cycle in terms of politics, pop culture, and entertainment news of interest to the LGBTQ community and its allies. In this week's headlines Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, fierce champion for LGBTQ rights, has died at the age of 87. A sportscaster who was suspended for using a gay slur on air says he's never used the word before. Burger King lays a whopper on Ronald McDonald and Academy Award winner Jane Fonda reminds us what an awesome ally she is. All that and more in this episode of The Randy Report. U.S. Associate Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who joined major decisions on LGBTQ rights on the bench and was known as the notorious RBG in progressive circles, has died at the age of 87. Upon joining the High Court in 1993, she charted a course for women's rights and became a fierce champion for LGBTQ equality and progress. Her tenacity, courage, and historic impact made the U.S. a better country and the world a better place. A Supreme Court spokesperson said in a statement Friday evening, Associate Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg died this evening surrounded by her family at her home in Washington, D.C. due to complications of metastatic pancreatic cancer. Chief Justice John G. Roberts, Jr. said of Justice Ginsburg, Our nation has lost a jurist of historic stature. We at the Supreme Court have lost a cherished colleague, Today we mourn but with confidence that future generations will remember Ruth Bader Ginsburg as we knew her, a tireless and resolute champion of justice. Alfonso David, president of the Human Rights Campaign, said in a statement upon Ginsburg's passing that she was, quote, a force for good, a force for bringing this country closer to delivering on its promise of equality for all. Ginsburg's impact on the LGBTQ community in particular is almost immeasurable. Among the rulings she joined were Romer v. Evans in 1996, which struck down Colorado's anti-gay Amendment 2. In 2003, she voted with the majority in Lawrence v. Texas, which struck down state laws criminalizing sodomy. Both decisions were early indications the nation was beginning to head in a different direction in acceptance for LGBTQ people. Ginsburg also joined rulings that advanced same sex marriage, including the 2013 ruling in Windsor v. United States, which struck down the Anti Gay Defense of Marriage Act. Also in 2013, Hollingsworth v. Perry, which restored marriage equality to California after Proposition 8. And then in 2015, Obergefell v. Hodges, which struck down state bans across the country on same-sex marriage and extended full marriage equality throughout the United States. For each of these rulings on marriage, justices were split five to four, so if Ginsburg weren't on the court, the decisions may not have come out in favor of the LGBTQ community. It's notable that Ginsburg herself was the first Supreme Court justice to conduct a same-sex wedding, marrying Kennedy Center President Michael Kaiser and economist John Roberts in 2013. More recently, Ginsburg joined the decision in Bostock v. Clayton County, which found anti-LGBTQ discrimination is a form of sex discrimination and thus illegal under Title VII of the Civil Rights Act. The broad ruling granted protections to LGBTQ people wherever their laws against sex discrimination, including employment, housing, health care, and education. With a seat vacant on the Supreme Court, the responsibility falls to the President of the United States to appoint a replacement who will be subject to U.S. Senate confirmation. For the time being, that's Donald Trump who for now has a Republican-controlled Senate to evaluate his pick before the election. In a statement dictated to her granddaughter, Clara Spira, just days before her death, Ginsburg said, My most fervent wish is that I will not be replaced until a new president is installed. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell is already flip-flopping from the rules he set in 2016 when he refused to allow a vote on the confirmation of Merrick Garland. In a statement Friday night, McConnell said the situation is different in 2020 and Donald Trump's pick will get a vote, saying in a statement, quote, President Trump's nominee will receive a vote on the floor of the United States Senate. You'll recall when conservative Justice Antonin Scalia died in 2016, McConnell struck a different tune, saying he'd let the people speak their voice in the presidential election rather than allow consideration of President Obama's nominee. Even though there were nine months before the election at that point, McConnell said at the time, This vacancy should not be filled. The American people should have their say on this issue, so let's give them a voice. Let's let the American people decide. Upon the news of Ginsburg's passing, President Barack Obama issued a statement honoring her, which read in part, For nearly three decades, as the second woman ever to sit on the highest court in the land, she was a warrior for gender equality, someone who believed that equal justice under the law only had meaning if it applied to every single American. Weighing in on the issue of confirming the next Supreme Court justice, Obama added, quote, Four and a half years ago, when Republicans refused to hold a hearing or an up-down vote on Merrick Garland, they invented the principle that the Senate shouldn't fill an open seat on the Supreme Court before a new president was sworn in. A basic principle of law and of everyday fairness is that we apply rules with consistency and not based on what's convenient or advantageous in the moment. The rule of law, the legitimacy of our courts, the fundamental workings of our democracy all depend on that basic principle. End quote. I'll note that should the Senate confirm a conservative nominee from Trump, the balance of the Supreme Court would shift to three liberal justices and six conservative justices, set to rule on the next slate of cases before the High Court. A Navy veteran living in South Carolina has filed a lawsuit against the Veterans Administration claiming he tested positive for HIV over 20 years ago and his doctors never informed him of the diagnosis. The lawsuit, filed in federal court this past week, alleges the medical staff at the William Jennings Bryan Dorn VA Center in Columbia, South Carolina, failed to tell him an HIV test taken back in 1995 came back positive. If true, the failure allowed the virus to progress for 20 years. The veteran is referred to as John Doe in the filing to protect his medical privacy. According to the local Colombian newspaper, The State, the lawsuit reads, The VA had actual knowledge beginning in November 1995 that Mr. Doe was HIV positive and the standard of care required he be informed of the positive test and proper treatment begin in 1995. In clear contravention of the standard of care, Mr. Doe was not informed of the positive HIV test until decades later. End quote. The patient's medical records reportedly mention his HIV diagnosis in subsequent visits, but there's no apparent record of the patient being informed he was HIV positive. Doe only learned of his status while seeing a non VA physician who mentioned the diagnosis in passing during a December 2015 examination. The doctor wrote in his notes, quote, "I looked at the patient and asked him who his infectious doctor was, and patient states he did not have one. And I asked him if he knew that his HIV test was positive, and he stated he never was told it was positive." End quote. According to reports, the veteran didn't begin receiving antiretroviral treatment until he was admitted to a non-VA hospital in New York in 2018, at which point he had developed full-blown AIDS. The lawsuit, which requests an unspecified amount for punitive damages, claims the man's health and immune system are permanently affected. His lawyer, Chad McGowan, told the Navy Times the treatment he's getting now is effective but he's had essentially 25 years of wear and tear for having no treatment. McGowan added he feels extremely guilty about the girlfriends he's had over the past 25 years because he didn't know. Had John Doe been informed of his status in a timely manner, McGowan says his client, quote, would not have suffered the losses he's suffered and will continue to suffer in the future, and more likely than not, he would not have developed AIDS. The medical director of the Dorn VA facility declined to comment due to the pending litigation. A woman who was denied Social Security survivor benefits after her partner of 27 years passed away has won her case in federal court. Helen Thornton and Marge Brown lived together as a couple for 27 years in Washington state before Marge passed away in 2006 due to ovarian cancer. They bought a house together raised a child together, and Helen helped put Marge through graduate school by working at a grocery store. When Marge got sick, Helen took care of her for three years. Along the way, it was clear that Helen had made financial sacrifices in her life to support Marge, because they were a family. But because the two women weren't legally married— Helen passed away six years before Washington state would recognize marriage equality in 2012, the Social Security Administration denied Helen's request for survivor benefits after Marge passed away. But in a recent ruling, U.S. District Judge James Robart of Seattle ordered the Social Security Administration to give Helen the survivor benefits, saying that denying her benefits violates her constitutional due process and equal protection rights. The Social Security Administration's position on the issue was that the ban on benefits for same-sex couples who weren't officially married before marriage equality was legal, quote, reduces the risk of fraudulent marriages. But Judge Robart clapped back, saying the Social Security Administration couldn't use Washington State's ban on same-sex marriage to deny benefits because the marriage ban had been, quote, an unconstitutional law that discriminated on the base of sexual orientation. Robart also recommended that the Social Security Administration reconsider similar survivor benefit claims across the country for same-sex couples who were unable to marry due to discriminatory marriage bans. In a recent podcast episode, I reported that Michael Eli, a gay man in Arizona whose husband, James Taylor, not the famous one, passed away in 2014 and won a similar court case after he was denied Social Security survivor benefits. The men were a couple for 43 years, and they managed to exchange wedding vows just six months before James died. But the Social Security Administration refused benefits because the couple hadn't been legally married for nine months. In that case, the federal judge ruled the nine-month requirement was based on an unconstitutional Arizona law and added it cannot withstand scrutiny at any level. A similar case is currently being heard in federal court in North Carolina. The Census Bureau's 2019 American Community Survey, released this past week, shows there are just under 1 million same-sex households in the United States. Last year's American Community Survey was the most detailed report to date in regard to identifying and counting same-sex households, both male and female. Of the 980,000 same-sex households, 58% were married, while 42% were unmarried couples. The data shows there were slightly more female-led households than male. I'll note, though, that the survey's results don't represent all of the LGBTQ people living in the U.S. since some live alone, or with family, or roommates, and some are homeless. According to the data available, same-sex households make more money than opposite-sex couples, with the LGBTQ households averaging $107,210 annually, and the heterosexual couples earning, on average, $96,932 annually. The inequality of women's wages becomes apparent when breaking down the numbers by gender, however. On average... Male-led same-sex households bring home $123,646 on average, while female-led same-sex households earn an average of $87,690. Boo on inequality. The survey found the highest concentration of same-sex households in Washington, D.C., with 2.4% of the population. That was followed by Delaware with 1.3%. Oregon tied with Massachusetts at 1.2% of the population, and Washington State came in fifth with 1.1%. More detailed information on LGBTQ Americans could have been included on the survey, but was blocked by the Trump administration in 2018. Iconic actress, activist, and longtime LGBTQ ally Jane Fonda shows she's still learning at the age of 82, in a recent interview with the New York Times, the Academy Award winner showed how she is doing her part to support the queer community these days by updating how she uses pronouns. She told the New York Times' Maureen Dowd, quote, I've been working with really young people. When you meet them, they give you the pronouns they go by. I'm going on 83. Do I really have to say what pronouns I go by, you know? The answer is yes, and there's a learning curve, end quote. Fonda is legendary not just for her artistic performances on the silver screen, but also her body of activism over the course of her life and career. The two-time Oscar winner faced down much controversy in the 1960s and 70s with her public opposition to the Vietnam War. And just last year, she was arrested on numerous occasions during protests she helped to lead calling attention to climate change. She's also been an early and strong supporter of the LGBTQ community, from campaigning alongside the late Harvey Milk in California to speaking out more recently in support of marriage equality. In 2015, Fonda told Out Magazine, quote, I think both the LGBT movement and the women's movement have come a long way, but there's still so far to go. We have marriage equality, yes, but look what's happening with the right to use bathrooms. It's just hard to believe what the right wing is up to, what they're trying to do, end quote." Celebrity status can often lead to an amplified public voice, and Fonda has used hers to spread the message of acceptance, inclusion, and equality. Showing what she's learned, she told Dowd, quote, "Do you know what a repeater is? Repeaters are the antenna that you see on top of mountains. They don't originate the signals, but the bottom-of-the-valley signals get picked up, and then the repeaters take them from the valley and spread them to a much wider audience. That's what celebrities are, end quote. We should all take a cue from Miss Jane and learn to become repeaters, picking up and carrying LGBTQ messages to a wider audience, don't you think? Last month, the Cincinnati Reds pulled sports broadcaster Tom Brenneman from their game after he used a homophobic slur on air. Video of the incident went viral, and Brenneman, 56 years old, was placed on indefinite suspension. This past week, he addressed the issue, embarking on an apology tour that draws into question some of his sincerity. Brinneman told the New York Post, Believe me, I know a lot of people who are still very angry, and I understand that. Reflecting on the experience, he said, Everything happened so fast. And I'm watching literally everything fall apart at the seams while trying to announce a baseball game. I couldn't even tell you what happened, where it came from. Look, I said it is all that matters. The rest of it is irrelevant. I said it, and I own it, and I'm the one who has to live with it. End quote. But Brenneman may have taken his remorse act a bit too far when he added, quote, I have never used that word before in my life. End quote. Ryan Messer, an LGBTQ activist in Cincinnati, said he isn't buying that part. But still, Messer sees more value in opening a conversation with Brenneman than simply hitting the cancel button. I happen to agree with him. Messer told the New York Post, If he used it then, he used it before. But if we don't open the dialogue to help explain the meaning behind the word, how do we learn and grow from it? And that's where my whole perspective comes. And I'm willing to make sure he understands that, which is why he's coming to my house to meet my family, my husband, and four kids. In the end, Brenneman told the New York Post, If I get another chance, someone will be hiring a better person than the person who walked out the door that night on August 19th. In an effort to show support for Helsinki's Pride Week in Finland, fast food chain Burger King ran a new ad campaign featuring the king himself laying a whopper of a kiss on burger competitor Ronald McDonald. The usual Pride celebration had been canceled due to the COVID-19 crisis, but there were smaller events being held live, as well as online streams for folks to join. The new ads feature a painting of the Burger King himself tenderly kissing Ronald McDonald, who we see from behind, with a tagline that read, Love Conquers All. Kesa Kassila, Burger King's brand manager for Finland, said in a statement, We thought, what a better way to convey our values than by portraying an all-encompassing kiss between Burger King and McDonald. We wanted to show that in the end, love always wins. She added, Burger King has always stood for equality, love, and everyone's right to be just the way they are. The only instance where it might not seem so is when we're bantering with our competitor. And finally, I'm proud to be a voting member of GALECA, which used to be known as the Gay and Lesbian Entertainment Critics Association, now the Society of LGBTQ Critics. And this past week, my colleagues celebrated the inaugural Dorian's TV Toast 2020, which honored the best in TV entertainment this past year, according to the country's top queer entertainment critics. During the impressive two hour TV special, Dan Levy picked up trophies for Best Supporting TV Actor and Best LGBTQ TV Show for his acclaimed series, Schitt's Creek. He thanked the Critics Association for supporting the show from day one and added, It's a great honor to be recognized by all of you because, let's be honest, you got good taste. Schitt's Creek had a near sweep of the major categories with only Eugene Levy, who was nominated for Best TV Performance Actor, losing to Hugh Jackman for his performance as a corrupt gay superintendent in the HBO drama Bad Education. Schitt's Creek was also nominated for Best TV Musical Performance by Noah Reed singing Always Be My Baby, but the category went to Janelle Monae and Billy Porter for the opening number to the 92nd Academy Awards. Other major winners from the Dorian TV Awards included Killing Eve for Best TV Drama, HBO's Watchmen for Best TV Movie or Limited Series and Most Visually Striking Show, and FX's What We Do in the Shadows was honored as Best Unsung TV Show. For a full list of winners, head over to, where else, therandyreport.com. And you can catch the glitzy two-hour special featuring remarks from Dan Levy, Janelle Monae, Laverne Cox, Billy Porter, Hugh Jackman, Regina King, and John Oliver, among many on the streaming platform, Reverie TV. And that brings me to the end of this episode of The Randy Report. If you enjoy catching up on LGBTQ news in a quick podcast, I'd appreciate it if you wouldn't mind sharing it with your friends. I like to think of The Randy Report as the 60 minutes of gay news, only shorter. And remember you can find me every single day on the internet at therandyreport.com, where I cover the daily news cycle regarding politics, pop culture, and entertainment news of interest to the LGBTQ community and its allies. Thanks for listening, folks. Please remember, wash your hands a lot, practice social distancing, wear a face mask in public, and take care of yourselves. See you next time.